Hello all, my name is Kay and I am a compulsive eater. I will speak of what it was like before, what it was like when I entered OA and what it is like now after 12 years in program. This is a reworking of my share at a recent Monday evening free thinkers meeting. So those of you at that meeting may recognize it. Technically, I think of myself as a constant eater. I picture the progression of my disordered eating like this. When I was a baby, I needed food to live. The food was pleasurable. I wanted more. As I grew up and learned to cook, it became a hobby and it was a joyful hobby. As I grew older and faced challenges, eating became a coping mechanism. When I was overstimulated, I ate. When I was understimulated, I ate. The habit became an obsession. The obsession became a burden. But throughout this progression toward addiction, eating remained my greatest pleasure. As I said to my therapist recently, on a scale of one to 10, 10 being what I enjoy the most, eating and baking is my 10. Then we drop down to other things I enjoy at around a four. I was considered by others to be an overweight child and a fat teenager, although when I see photos of myself, I do not see an obese person. I started to put on five to 10 pounds a year after I graduated from college. At the same time, I began my only long-term relationship. Since my strongest value is that of responsibility, once I realized I had a problem, I started trying to get help. I am grateful that I ran across writings from 1970s and 80s feminists who spoke from both personal experience and research that diets don't work and women should strive to be healthy at any size. I learned how to cook natural foods, made a commitment to exercise and started therapy. Strangely, as I started this focus on how to be healthy, my isolation increased and I continued to eat as much as I could. I liked eating and didn't know how to stop. Every night I went to bed with a stomach ache and vowed to not do that to myself the next day. Every morning I woke up with joy, pleased to have another day of eating in front of me. To me now, it seems like a cycle of self-abuse. But I also know at that time, the drive to eat was way stronger than the desire to change. I've seen over 15 therapists for my eating disorder and relationship issues over the past 42 years. A psychologist once told me two things. First, if I've had an eating disorder since I was a baby, I probably missed some stages of development. And second, in order to give up eating, I need to find a substitute passion. I think I have a clue about one of the things I missed, how to be a social person. Therapy has really helped me in that respect. It's helped me to grow up too. But for all of our efforts and all the money I spent on therapy, it did not touch the food obsession or my overeating. In my early 50s, my obsession with food was waking me up in the middle of the night with the thought, when can I eat again? I felt hopeless. I was five feet, two inches, 235 pounds, and could not envision going any way but up the scale. The functioning part of my brain knew that if food remained my primary relationship, I would stay stuck in my painful cycle 
and my world would get increasingly smaller. And at age 52, I knew I needed to give myself every advantage of choosing a fulfilling life. I had ended my long-term relationship 10 years earlier and knew that there was no potential of having a primary relationship with a human being after I, while I stayed in this destructive cycle. But I tell you all honestly, I prefer food or cats to people. And I went to OA because it was the responsible thing to do. When I entered OA in 2010, I consciously decided to not let the language bother me. I read and listened to everything with respect and consideration. I decided that program literature was the liturgy or poetry of OA. And as members repeatedly read and recited back what they had heard others say, they were soothing themselves. Hearing members share at my first OA meeting, I knew I had found my people, those who had a problem with food, but I didn't know if I'd found my program. I have never felt comfortable in groups, never felt that I belonged in any group. As an introvert, I was encouraged right away by the intimate, honest, and positive shares at my home meeting. I also appreciated the guidelines in that meeting of no food talk or crosstalk, which was much different than in the therapy groups I'd been in. I was encouraged by the flexibility of the statement, take what you need and leave the rest. This was a reminder to me that when others shared it was their story, it didn't mean it was the OA gospel that I had to adopt for myself. In the beginning, I enjoyed attending meetings. I wanted the AA promise that we will intuitively know how to handle situations which used to baffle us to come true for me. This meshed with a goal I'd set for myself a couple of years earlier to nudge myself away from head-based decision-making toward intuitive decision-making. Also, the OA 12 and 12 says that higher power communicates through, with us through our intuition. So between the amazing shares and these two concepts, I was initially hooked in and I participated as fully as I could using most of the tools and attending three meetings a week, although I did not have a sponsor that first year. I kept reading steps one through three in the 12 and 12 over and over, but there was no relief in my compulsive thoughts or, or behavior, and I started to lose interest. I stopped wanting to go to meetings, but because I am responsible, I stayed, and I made a monthly commitment to my group to stay one more month, and I kept doing that month after month. Besides finding a sponsor, I had two issues to contend with. How was I going to stop overeating? And what was I going to do about this higher power thing? Through the grace of actual crosstalk, I got some answers. One time I shared that I didn't know why I was still in OA because it wasn't working. I got an answer from across the table from a long timer. You want peace. Then nine months into program, I asked, why can't I get past step three? Once again, from across the table, I heard, there is a such thing as step zero, putting down the food. And from inside my head, I heard my first real truth. I don't want to. This was such a shock to hear this in my own brain, in my own voice. I tried so hard for 30 years to stop eating compulsively. How could it be true that I didn't really want to stop? The very next day, I uncharacteristically put down the food 
and started my recovery. That was May of 2011. I've considered myself to be in recovery since that time, although I've had many slips in my abstinence. And of the 65 pounds I've lost, I've gained back 20 of them since my brother died two years ago. And I'm feeling uh, teary right now, not because of gaining 25 pounds, but you know, that was really a miracle that one day I just put down the food. When I think about it, I'm just really grateful for that experience. Mm. I believe this dichotomy of working so hard to stop eating compulsively at the same time wishing to eat with abandon holds the key to my recovery. My lower self likes pleasure and food is my greatest pleasure. But my higher self knows that repeated, overdone, momentary pleasure has prevented me from being fully engaged with life and is offering me the consciousness to change my behavior. For me, this program is about behavior modification, psychological, not spiritual. When I first came into OA, I tried concertedly to develop a concept of a higher power. Over the years, I've used the phrase universal flow as part of my third step. My third step is universal flow, show me how to go. Eventually, I realized that I just didn't need to think about anything higher or greater than I. I have an inner resource that I can check in with, and if I need help from others, I can ask for it. The third step principle is faith. Over the course of a two-year quest, I developed this statement of faith for myself. The path is open, and I travel it with friends. Those friends include health professionals, OA members, pals outside of program, family, car mechanics, plumbers, pet sitters, handy women, podcasters, hairstylists, and loads of strangers who have helped me or that I have yet to meet. Over the years, I've had several sponsors, and right now another member and I are co-sponsoring. I completed writing out the 12 steps and traditions several years ago because I know people who have not done the steps and still have strong recovery, and because my fourth step was not a positive experience, I am hard pressed to expect a sponsee to go beyond step three. For me, this program works because of steps one, two, and three. I think of them as H-O-W. H, honest about my behavior. O, open to ideas that are not my own. And W, willing to make a connection with others in program. Steps one through three are also awareness, acceptance, and action. Accountability, authenticity, and attitude are other big A's for me. I'm accountable to my healthcare professionals, my food sponsor, my fellows, the people I've made amends to, and myself. Treating myself with gentleness and a sense of humor is a kindness. Being kind to others and setting healthy boundaries is also treating myself well. Learning to be and love my authentic self are lifetime goals. And practicing acceptance that not everyone appreciates my authentic self is a daily practice. That brings us to attitude. A couple of years ago, I reviewed my character traits for my fourth step, and I noticed that every single foible of mine could be categorized under the broad heading of self-absorption. Now, when I'm caught in an obsessive thought cycle, I know that I'm thinking too much about myself. 
I gently remind myself that, yep, I'm afraid. Yep, I'm angry. And yep, I want something different than what I have. I take time to feel. And then when I am ready, I move myself out of that space by saying basic gratitudes out loud. I've always said that OA is my part-time job. Currently, I attend at least one meeting a week. I speak weekly with my sponsor. I do service at the meeting level and above. I read very little OA literature, but supplement my personal growth with outside philosophy and self-help literature. I write in my journal when I move to write. Every day, I try to do one thing I don't want to do, and I try to help another person. I state my daily intention out loud, usually in the shower. I have a meditation and Tai Chi practice. I walk as many days a week as I am able. I offer myself to newcomers as someone who can help them get started. I espouse and practice anonymity and setting boundaries. As a sponsor, I work from the OA 12 and 12. Although if a sponsee wishes to supplement with secular texts, I'm supportive. I expect sponsees to write out steps one, two, and three. And if they want to continue with the steps, I'm happy to be their guide. I also expect them to study the traditions. I leave their quest to identify a higher power up to them. My definition of abstinence is I do not binge. I do not eat unconsciously and I do not eat over strong emotions. In the past, I've had an issue with anger. So my abstinence also includes not going off on someone. Because of my weight gain these past two years, I cannot claim long-term abstinence. I still deal with strong thoughts, desires, and impulses around food. This is truly a one day at a time journey that I'm on. And I'm grateful to have so many OAs and seculars by my side. What about that passion that the psychologist told me I'd, need, I'd have to substitute for food? Well, as they say in the rooms, more will be revealed. Thank you.